I'm not sharing, I don't have enough. Heavenly Father, uh, I pray that you be with us this morning, and I pray that you would help us to just keep our eyes and our hearts and our minds and our lives um, just focused on you. Uh, Lord God, I pray that as I, as I bring the message, as I talk about uh, your scriptures, as I talk about your word, help me to just get out of the way. Lord God, I, I have a tendency to talk too much. I have a tendency to say the wrong thing and to, to think I'm, you know, well, just to be too clever by half and, and uh, you know, sometimes just, just try to run things my way. And I, I pray, Lord God, that you would just just act beyond me, act uh, through me, and, and wherever I might get in the way, just just um, push me aside, Lord. Um, I pray that folks who are here, we hear the word preached, that they would know you more, that, that the seed would find good soil, that, that the rocks that are there would be picked out, that that um, in all things we would just draw into your presence. In Christ's name, amen. Um, I have been married to Jessica for 25 years this year. And uh, I, there are a lot of things that we do uh, well, and there are a lot of things that we could definitely do better. Uh, one of the things that we've historically done well, but we're in a bit of a uh, busy season, a busy, terrible season, um, is we've, we've historically gone on dates a lot. And it's, it's become like this fun challenge at different times to come up with different ways to go on dates and, and different like unique things to do so we're not doing the same thing over and over again. There was a season when we lived in uh, Indiana where we uh, went grocery shopping every week. And a grocery shopping date is a date. It ain't the most fun one, right? Uh, along the way of figuring out things to do or what have you, uh, a few years ago, we were uh, going to a steak place out in uh, near Great Falls, and we stopped at the bookstore there, and I picked up a book. Uh, the book is the My Top Ten book, and we carried this around in our car forever and lost it for a while because our car, I mean, you can lose another car in there. It's so messy usually, uh, unless my wife cleans it, in which case it is quite clean, but unfortunately, I drive it most. Um, and so, oh. We're back to Netflix. Um, let me see if I can fix it. All right. I'm going to send this. Oh, that's a problem. Uh, you want to go ahead and shut that off, and you guys will just have to take my word for it? Oh, it is? Oh, Yes. We're not going to watch Coco Melon. I'm sorry. No complaining, TJ. Oh, come on. There we go. All right. So uh, I'm trying. I'm on the timer here, and this just chewed up like a minute for me. That is so unfair. Uh, so I picked up this book, my top ten, and we went out to dinner, and we sat in the steak place, and. As we were waiting for our order and we're like eating and enjoying dessert and all this other stuff, um, we started going through it and we would write down, like it's, it's just a list of your top ten things. Um, you know, uh, ways to spend a rainy day, top ten. Uh, top ten worst places to live, uh, which actually I'll, I'll read you, Houston, because my wife grew up there because it's hot and the traffic is awful and there's crazy amounts of mosquitoes, it's way too crowded and... Uh, Chicago was number two. San Francisco was number three. This was a few years ago, so San Francisco certainly would be at the top. Indiana in general, New York, D.C., Seattle, Louisiana, Canada, 
should also be in the top two, and Detroit. But there's um, a bunch of these, like best vacation we've ever gone on, favorite things about our own town, uh, uh, favorite books that were turned into movies, whatever. Like there, there are all these lists. And what we started doing, so we sat there and we did like cities. And, and the weirdest thing, like with our city list, we talked about places we had lived together. And things that we had done together in different cities and things that drove us nuts. I distinctly remember that evening talking about we, Jess and I were doing something in Houston. It was right before we got married. And we had borrowed her sister's station wagon. It was just this junky old car. And it was like 900 degrees out. And we're in stopped traffic because it's Houston. The traffic is actually not traffic. It's a parking lot. Uh, and it, there's no air conditioning. And we're just melting in this car and we, we talked about this memory. And the cool thing that came out of it was that the book became this funny guide for us to just have conversations about stuff. You know, like to, we'd go out and we'd talk about, you know, oh, well, you know, if I could go anywhere, why, you know, where would it be and why? Like our vacations or our, our, you know, if I could do anything else as a career, what would it be? And we just talked. And the coolest thing that came out of this was that it was not a rattle off a list it was a discussion and it became a framework for having a conversation everybody with me um and and it was kind of cool because after you've been married for a long time uh it becomes very comfortable and very easy to sit and say nothing i even me thank you one person laughed at that um we are going to be looking at, like, we're, we're doing a series on prayer right now, and we're going to be looking at the Lord's Prayer here. And um, we're going to do it bit by bit, and the angle we're going to approach it from is not unique. It's just not the most commonly taught version. Um, when the disciples asked Jesus how to pray, right, uh, which I think is actually in the Luke version of this, or the Mark version of this, excuse me, um, he, he gives them this model. And like the church has since the very earliest days adopted it. Um, but what he's giving them is a framework for talking to God. Not just pray like this, this is the one prayer. Right? It's not the before meals, rub-a-dub-dub, thank for the grub, yay God. Or, uh, you know, or the bedtime, now I leave me. It's not a rote prayer. It can be a rote prayer, but its primary purpose was as a guide. And we're going to talk about this uh, just for the next few weeks. I'm going to have to clip out bits, otherwise we're going to do this till Easter. Sorry. Uh, and so I'm hoping to do a video this week sort of filling in some blanks. Um, but we're going to dive into this. And we're just on 6-9, okay? The main idea, if you are planning on tuning me out, right, if you're planning on falling asleep, the main idea this week is prayer is meant to be a personal relational engagement with God as our loving Father. Got it? Um, the Lord's Prayer begins in that spot. The very first line is or our Father. And we're going to talk about that today. Those two words. So I can't shorten up doing one verse. We're going to do two words this week. And we'll see how it goes. Nothing? Not even a smile. Jeez, y'all are awful. I'm awful, I guess, and y'all aren't entertained. Are you not? Um, so a little background. Last couple of weeks, we have done the preceding verses, which is basically how not to pray, right? Um, with an opposite how to do it. And he says, listen, don't pray in public in a way that draws everybody's attention to yourself. 
Um, that doesn't mean don't pray in public. It means your prayer time is between you and God, not you and everyone else. If you make your prayer time about you and everybody else, you ain't getting nothing out of God. You're only getting your reward right now. You ain't having a conversation with him. You're having a conversation with you. Got it? Um, then he talks about, like, don't babble. Don't just say a bunch of nonsense. Don't say gibberish. Talked about that last week. This is a conversation. I could sit and talk to my wife all day about things that she has no interest in. And I do it a lot. But on a date, like, we're sitting down, we're having this heart-to-heart, close conversation, ideally. Me telling her all about, you know, the, the comic books or the Byzantine Empire or, you know, whatever else. Like, whatever it is, she might not be interested in that. We have conversations between us, um, and that is a more ideal version of it. Not just me vomiting my words. Got it? Um, And so we are going to be looking at this. You know, Jesus says, hey, don't just pray over and over again thinking a lot of words are going to convince God or thinking a lot of words are going to, like, get him to jump on your team or saying a mantra over and over. Don't do that. Have a conversation with God. And so he says, listen, go alone and pray like this. And actually, um, before we get to that, uh, real quick, from the earliest days of the church. So there's a book called the Didache. It is not in the Bible. It is the oldest, oldest document from the church that is not scripture, right? And it is from like 60, 70 AD. It's a hard call. But it was a manual for how to be a Christian. And it had hymns in it. And it had how do you baptize someone if you live in the desert? It's a real question, right? Like there's no water. Um, and the Lord's Prayer is listed as a rote prayer to be repeated in public. And so they did know this prayer. They did say it from the earliest days. It's become a lot of things over the years. Um, but I'm going to contend here, this is a guide for how to talk to God. Um, so we're going to just do the text real quick, some, some exegesis. We're going to talk about the words. If you've got a Bible, go to Matthew 6, 9. There should be Bibles in all of the pews. If there isn't, I'm sorry, uh, look off the person next to you. You may use your phone. Stay off Facebook. All right. So he starts off whenever you... Um, sorry, let me see if I get the right verse here instead of reading the whole chapter. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Number one, I uh, so I, I've been... I've been a part of just about every major denomination there is. Not every, right? I haven't been Catholic. I haven't been a couple other things. Anglican, I haven't been. But I've been kind of all over, attended churches of all kinds, worked in different places. And I, I, uh, I have learned about 800 different ways to say the Lord's Prayer. And it's funny, if you're the guy who says, forgive us all our sins instead of trespasses or debts, um, like you can throw the whole room off. People stumble over their words. It's uh, 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 interesting. Um, the exact wording is not, it doesn't matter. It's not saying the Harry Potter uh, spell incorrectly and screwing up the magic trick you're doing with God. That's not how it works. Okay? So you can say it wrong, God gets it. You can say it not even wrong. There's no right and wrong. You're talking to God. And this is a guide. And like for a guide, um, he says, pray like this. So cover these topics. He gives a model for doing this. Um, 
it's important to understand because he doesn't say pray exactly like this. He says pray like this or pray in a similar way or pray in this manner. Um, but it's not intended to be a rote prayer. He's teaching them a model for talking to God, a little like my top ten book. Got it? Um, I, when I was doing youth pastor training, I had to learn a, uh, a mental image stack for how to have a conversation with anyone, anytime, place. And it was just a series of topics that you would just work through where you'd ask questions and talk about these topics. And it was, and I still kind of remember most of it, and I still use some of it, but it is, that, that's what this is. And so he starts out, our father is the opening, and this is a big deal. Why is it a big deal, Eric? It doesn't seem like a big deal, because the wording is screwy. And the wording is screwy in a way that we aren't going to catch. Because you and I live in 20, what is it, 2023 now? This is... Roughly 31, you know, A.D. Uh, in the Middle East, amongst you know Middle Eastern Jews, uh, all of this like it's a very different culture and a very different understanding. Um, so Jesus starts by saying "our." Well, "our" is not that big a deal, right? Um, I I like I see a meme very often where uh, if I you know if I give my dog food, it's his food, but if I have food, it's our food, right? No, that's ours. You're going to share with me, aren't you? Our, you know, he's got the little communist hat on and everything in the meme. Um, our father is, and, and I, I double-checked the Greek here. Like, this is, um, like, it's the pronoun. There's the group pronoun possessive, meaning our, right? Literally our, which is easy to, you know, so what, Eric? Who's saying it? Jesus is saying it. Who's Jesus? Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is divine. Jesus was there when all of creation was made. Everything that it was created was created through him and by him. He has been with the Father since before time existed. He was with God. And so if God is his Father and he says, our, what does that mean? It means our. Not my. Not anything else. It means our, meaning As we talk to God, we are talking to God as our father, the same as he is his father. He is my father. He is your father. If, and we'll get to the if in a minute. Now, um, it's not a small thing to realize that God has adopted us in this way. God has brought us in and made us a part of his family. He is our Father, I, uh, I always find it funny when I'm out in, uh, uh, well, we'll get to that later. Um, finally, Father, last thing. In the Old Testament, every single use of Father in reference to God is either an analogy, right? Because you can go and read it and you'll realize that like, oh, this is an analogy. A Father, this is the kind of thing he's talking about. Or it's talking about God as father over the nation of Israel as a whole. God is never, ever, ever referred to as father in the Old Testament in the sense that Jesus uses father as in my dad. Got it? Like, I got a dad. My dad, he lives in Reno. You know, we talk on the phone pretty regularly. He, you know, my brother and I tease him all the time. 
like, he is my dad. I love him. I know him. I grew up with him. He changed my diapers once upon a time. He, you know, like, he's my dad. Um, That is very different from the father of our country, George Washington, right? He ain't my dad. He's not. He's not. Like, not at all. I'm not that old, first off. I knew he would do that. Uh, Father in the Old Testament is always an analogy or a reference to the nation. It is never personal. Ever, ever personally. In the New Testament, God is referred to Father in a, pers- in a personal manner over 300 times. 300. Um, it is a night and day difference. And we'll understand why in a moment. But I need to emphasize this. As a topic to start a conversation with God, addressing him as Dad. Or as Jesus does you know, several times and then Paul picks up Abba, Father, which means Daddy. Right? Daddy. Daddy God. Daddy Father. That's, oh my gosh, that's intimate, right? I would never walk up to just anyone. I don't remember the last time I called my own dad Daddy. Like, but calling somebody Daddy, like, like as though they're your parent, is a very intimate act. It is a very, like, childlike to parent act. Jesus changes the world, or at least how the world can connect to God in this way. And there's a lot to that. We can't get into all of it today. Um, but we're going to talk about why this is a big deal. First off, the opening address. There are four big truths we're going to touch on. And understand, as you start to pray, um, I did a class in seminary. It was Spiritual Foundations of Church Growth. And they talked about prayer and fasting and all this other stuff. And this is where I first came across this idea. And, like, one of the things they talk about is that as we approach God, we can, you know, the, the, the author was talking about how he was given an assignment in a seminary class where he had to pray for an hour straight. And he prepared and he wrote up requests and all this other stuff. And he sat down in his closet all by himself and did his hour-long prayer going through his list and looked at the clock and realized it had been about eight minutes. And then he did it again. And he did it again. And then he felt silly because he hadn't gone, you know, an hour This is the model. He says, listen, if you can do this, you can talk to God for hours without breaking stride. And it's natural. And the first point where we start is, God, you're my father. And not just my father, but the perfect father. Right? Like I've talked to people forever where dad was absent or dad was um, abusive or dad was cold or dad was this or dad was that. And like all of these different versions of what dad is. But in reality... In truth, God as our Father is perfect. He is the ideal version of what God is. And that is something to talk to God about. Like, God, I need you as a father today because I don't know what to do. God, I need you as a father today because I need direction. I need wisdom. That's a great thing about being a dad, right? Like, you get to tell your kids wise things and then they ignore you. Eventually they start listening, I think. I listen to my dad all the time. No, um, but we begin, we can begin in prayer by talking about this truth with God, that he is our father, that he is our dad, our daddy. Um, now, there's an important thing here. We can say, and it is a very popular thing to say, oh, God is the father of all mankind. Actually, that's not really what the scripture teaches. It does and it doesn't. Now, is God the father of all creation? Yes. Why? Because he made it. Right? In that sense, he is the father of all. However, 
for me to talk to God as my father. Did you ever do that as a kid? Like, I, I was so awkward. I know none of you were. But, like, where you're in class and you turn to your teacher and you call her mom. And, like, it's all embarrassing because they ain't your mom. And all the other kids make fun of you and throw your books in the... Well, anyway, I was... It's a joke. I'm not having a PTSD thing. Um, we can call God Father. It doesn't mean he is. And in fact, actually, if we jump over to John chapter 8, uh, we're going to, 44 is the line we're looking at, um, but we're going to go, I'm going to read a little earlier. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and they're arguing back and forth about lineage and about truth and freedom and all this other stuff, like this big theological debate about being slaves to sin and about who's a descendant of Abraham because all Jews were descendants of Abraham. And like Jesus says, well, you only are saying this because you've heard it from your father. And they're like, what? What do you mean our father? Our father is Abraham. He's the father of our nation, right? Like they understood God. And then they say, well, you know, we weren't born of sexual immorality, um, we have one father, God, which is taking a swipe at Jesus because Jesus was born of a virgin and like one of the earliest accusations against Christ was that. Um, and so they sort of make an attack at him and they're like, oh, we have one father and that's God. Again, father of the nation here because they don't understand what Jesus is saying. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me because I came from God and I am here for I didn't come from my come on my own but he sent me why don't you understand what I say because you cannot listen to my word you are of your father the devil and you want to carry out your father's desires wow right like it's funny to me whenever you see Jesus presented as like a sort of Pollyanna figure or like the little precious moments doll you know what I'm talking about Like, Jesus was just not that guy. He was very in-your-face, and he would say the truth, even if it was insulting. And in this moment, what he's saying is, guys, you think you know? You think God is your father, but in reality, the way you live, the product of how you live, you are children of Satan. And actually what that means is, all men, all people have sin. We are born with sin, and we are born slaves to sin. Uh, Romans 7 talks about that at length. There's a whole lot of the Bible that talks about this. But what the idea there is, even when I try to do the right thing, I often do the right thing, the wrong thing. Anybody else get this? Like, you know, you leave something out. My kids, this is the worst example. My kids leave cookies out, you know, that are theirs. Or they put something in the fridge with their name on it. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to eat it. Or I'm going to eat part of it, Right? Because it's mine? No. Because I'm trying to be funny? Maybe. But mostly because I want to eat it. Because if you give me a rule, I am going to look for a way to get around the rule. If you give me something, I will figure out a way to contort it to being sort of sinful. Because that's what we all do. It's where we're inclined to do. We are able to do good because of what comes next. But out of the gate, all men are dead in sin and slaves to sin. That's actually something that I'll do in a video this week, I hope. Um, because there's a whole lot to this. But we are naturally inclined to be enemies of God until we know him and until we are adopted as sons. We're going to jump over to uh, Galatians 4, uh, if you want to follow along, otherwise I'll read it. Uh, When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, meaning 
all of us are under the law until we know Christ, and we are all, like, controlled by the law and by our sin, right? Because the law is good, but, like, our sin sees the law and is like, hey, I'm going to do the opposite. Uh, again, anybody who has kids knows how this is. Don't touch that. What's the first thing they do? Touch it, right? Like, that's it. Um, and so the law is there. We're all dead in our sin, slaves to the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. So if we are dead in our sins and we are basically children of Satan until the point that we are adopted as sons, you and because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, meaning that I am adopted like, if I'm a follower of Christ, I am adopted into God's family. And this is not an adoption like a redheaded stepchild adoption. This is a, you are a part of the family forever. We will love you like a member of the family. You are always welcome here. There's always a place for you. You, you know, you ask, I will take care of you. That is what this is referring to. And not like the earthly father kind of way, because everybody's got parents. And we all, as adults, can kind of look and say, yeah, my dad, my mom, my this, my that, could have done a little better this way, could have done a little better that way. And we recognize that there are imperfections because in all of us is an understanding of what the perfect God is supposed to be. And, like, some people struggle with God as Father because of that, because their families were not right, because they were broken, or because there were things that were missing or what have you. In truth, what we have here is we're adopted to a perfect Father who has loved us so much when we were in our sin. When I was the worst version of me, when I was drunk all the time and I was you know, stealing, I was doing all kinds of other stuff I wasn't supposed to do, God loved me so much that Jesus still died for me. He sent his only begotten son, his beloved son, in whom he is well pleased to take punishment for my sins so that I could be adopted into his family. There are a couple other verses there. Uh, recommend reading them, checking them out. I'm probably going to, I would really like to dig into this text a lot more because the center of all of this is the reality that we are adopted as sons. We are adopted as daughters. We are children of the creator of the universe. In uh, ancient Roman laws, it was actually illegal to mention that a person was adopted after they were adopted because they were considered children, period, of the adopter. Like, you could not even bring it up. You were a child. In fact, Marcus Aurelius, who wrote uh, several philosophical works, he was a pagan, he was adopted by the emperor, and he became emperor. Like, he had full lineage right. And that is what Paul is talking about here. That is what the truth is. We are all dead in sin. We are all children of wrath. And Christ dies for us, and we are adopted as his sons as his own children. And so as we begin to pray, like, honestly, that's a thing to talk about, isn't it? God, you're my father. God, you love me when I was unlovable. God, you watch over me so carefully and you care for me as your own son. Like, this is a topic to talk about. This is a thing to dig into, to explore, even to find a top ten with, right? Because there's a point to stop and say, God, you are my father. I love you. Thank you. See if I get my... Ah, dang it. All right. So the second big truth here is, first off, God is our Father. Secondly, because He is our Father, we have immediate access to Him at all times. Meaning, anybody in the world who wants to talk to me is going to have to probably wait until I'm willing to talk to them. Right? Um, my kids, 
I may not do what they want right away. I may have to say, hold on a second, but my kids are important. My kids are more important than anything. And so my kids come to me. They have the right to interrupt me at work, except when I'm preaching, Titus. Um, They have the right to talk to me because they're my sons. They have instant access to me as their father because I love them. I am responsible for them. God has put them in my care in the same way. We go to God in prayer. We have instant access to him. We have instant ability to walk into his presence. We're going to dig into that in a little bit. In Hebrews, it actually says that we can walk into the throne room of God in our, like spiritually, in our prayers and be in his very presence. It's funny because as I was reading about Old Testament understandings of God, the Jews would talk about his throne being between the cherubim and the heaven. It was all this like majestic out there, crazy stuff. And you see him from a distance and it kills you and stuff like that. But like we can walk right up to him. Why? Because he's dad. That's it. Instant access. So I talk to God as an adopted child of God through Christ, through his death for me, through his redeeming blood. I'm adopted and I have instant access. And actually, when Jesus talks about the father throughout his ministry, he talks about him being a good father. He says, listen, if your son asked you for a loaf of bread, would you give him a rock? I mean, like a good father. I, <laughs> would you give him a scorpion or a snake? May I, a good father, not, you know, um, of course you would. And he says, listen, if you fallen, if you sinful know how to take care of your kids, surely God knows better. God made fatherhood. Surely he will care for you even more. This is a continuing theme in Jesus' teachings regarding God. And it is revolutionary to the rest of the Jewish world. Nobody saw God this way. But we have instant, immediate access to God. We'll talk to him and he listens. Third, third big truth here. We have intimate closeness with him. Now, to have a father is not the same thing as being close to your father. But God, again, creator of the universe. Um, You read the Old Testament, God would speak and the earth would shake. Moses came into God's presence and saw his glory. Not even him, just saw his glory And it was like, it turned his hair white and he glowed and stuff like that. And he had to wear like stuff to cover himself up so people wouldn't stare at him. And, and all this, like, like God himself, um, is intimate and close with you. Um, he cares for us as one of his own children. Again, so much so that he would send Christ to die for us. Uh, so much so that we can call him Abba Father, which is very different from saying, I was reading about, um, approaches to prayer and this guy was saying well some people approach prayer dear god in a very formal way right or he talked about a guy he saw once that would say master god um the ancient jews would not say the name of god out loud and if they wrote it down with a pen it had to be a pen that only was used for writing the name of god and then you would destroy it lest that pen write something inappropriate or low and then write god's name or write god's name and then write something inappropriate or low like like To write God's name was enough to destroy the pen so it would never be used again. Got it? To say it out loud, you could be executed for it. And actually, Jesus says God's name in reference to himself, and they try to kill him for it at one point. Not today. Um, And so understand we have intimacy. We have closeness. You have a God that knows your heart, that knows your fears, that knows your doubts, that knows when you're lonely, that knows when you're hopeless, that knows where you are, where you are going, how you are lost, how you are found. He knows what you desire, what you hope for, and he has plotted out 
your life because he loves you. Oh my goodness. What better intimate relationship could you ask for? Um, Finally, the fourth one. uh, We are given, through Christ, we are given special means to approach God. And here's what I mean by this. We're going to look at Hebrews here. Um, The book of Hebrews is sort of an adaptation of the Jewish faith. Man, I keep... Sorry, that's super annoying. Uh, It's an adaptation of the Jewish faith to... Uh, Christianity is understand, not an adaptation, is understanding how the whole of the Old Testament, all of the Jewish beliefs were leading up to following Christ. They were always about Christ. And it talks about Christ being the high priest. So now in the Old Testament, real quick, in the Old Testament, the high priest went to God on your behalf. Right. You did not. You could pray, but you didn't approach the throne. You didn't approach and make sacrifices. You didn't do any of that stuff. Somebody did it for you. And that person had to live such a strict life of cleanliness and rule following so that he was pure and presentable before God. Like like it was insane. It was actually unsustainable for an ordinary person. And that's a whole other conversation. But like what they ate, how they dressed, washing their hands a certain way, everything was regulated carefully. And. You could not go into the closest place. So in the temple, everybody saw Indiana Jones, first one? Everyone, I assume, except some of my kids. Um, There was the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant was so holy that if you touched it, you would die. And what they would do is, like, inside of the Ark of the Covenant was the Ten Commandments that Moses smashed on the ground. And they were put inside of the Ark. The broken law, like, cool symbol there, right? Like, we break the law. The broken law is in the ark, and on the top was a little seat. And they, once a year, would sacrifice a lamb, a single lamb, and they would pour the blood of that lamb on the mercy seat. And what they would believe was, what the ceremony was, you would pour the blood of the lamb on the mercy seat, and that lamb would take the sins of the nation and present it before God so we could be forgiven for breaking the commandments the broken commandments inside, right? And so the nation would be forgiven every year by the sacrifice of a single lamb. And like ultimately, that's Jesus. It was just like foreshadowing or the coming attraction of Jesus, who is the lamb of God, um, who was slain for us, who covers our sins because we break the law. So I am forgiven. He was punished. Um, And so that is what that is. That's what the Ark of the Covenant is. That's what all that stuff is about. And so it... The Ark of the Covenant in the temple was kept in a room in the back behind a curtain, and it was called the Holy of Holies. And once a year, the priest could go into the Holy of Holies to present this blood sacrifice, and it was days of preparation and washing and baths and sacrifices and everything else to go in just to approach the Ark of the Covenant because that's where God's glory would be manifest once in a while. And so, like, you couldn't even approach him without, you know, doing biohazard decontainment and everything else, right? Like, it was crazy. Hebrews picks up and says, Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in times of need. Now, what's going on there? He says, actually, because we have such a great high priest, meaning Jesus, who goes to God on our behalf, we can approach not the mercy seat, not the sacrificial thing, not the from a distance, not like God's representative. We can approach the throne of grace, meaning when you pray, you're approaching that in the heavens, surrounded by angels, the whole nine yards, and you're talking to God directly. 
that is a unique means of speaking to God that nobody before Christ could do. We literally enter the holiest places by the blood of Christ, which is actually what Hebrews 10 says. I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to tell you. Hebrews 10 says that, therefore, we can enter the holiest places by the blood of Christ. What does that mean? That means when I pray, what I am essentially doing is standing in God's office, surrounded by the most important, like the most powerful like people in the company, right? The angels. And, and I can stand in his presence and say, I'm having a bad day. And he's going to stop everything. You say, all right, well, let's talk about it. Holy what? I, I read that when uh, JFK was president, his son would sit under the Lincoln desk while he was working. And there are photos of him where you can see his son under the desk. Could you imagine? There's a Lincoln desk. Like it's in the White House. Like it's this. You sit right there at Dad's feet while he does the Cuban Missile Crisis. But he's God. We can approach God in that level of intimacy, in that level of closeness. That is amazing. And so as we talk to God, we're given that. And when we don't know what to say, anybody ever have, like, conflict in your heart? Where everything is so screwed up and broken and you're so, like, sideways and everything else, and you're like, God, I don't even know what to say anymore. The Holy Spirit goes to God on our behalf and interprets our nonsense. That's cool. We are given access to God at a level that is unheard of, and it is all in that opening line, Father. God, Father. And so as we pray, like this is basically, we're going to talk about how to pray. An element of prayer that I would argue needs to be a part of prayer every day. A part of our, like, like all prayer is approaching God and saying, God, you're my Father. I have a, I actually do not have a single world's greatest father mug or number one dad mug or anything. My kids don't give me stuff like that because they know. Um, but the times that they have given me things, I cherish them. I have a, an acorn downstairs from when Josh was in sixth grade uh, from Thanksgiving. It says, I am thankful for my family. And I, I've had it hanging in my office for three years now uh, because I, I assume he was talking about us. I don't know. Maybe not. Um, but it touched my heart. You know why? Because I want my kids to love me. That's it. When we talk to God, just, Father, you're the perfect Father. You love me at all times. Father, hear my heart. Father, hear how I'm struggling. I One of the things I try very hard with my daughter, I know that dads and little girls, and so I try hard to be a person she can talk to. And I hold hands with her, and I take her on dates, and sometimes I bring her flowers and stuff like that. Why? Because I want her to know I love her. That's how God deals with you. I remember my dad being rough and tumble and, and telling stories about you know, growing up and fighting you know, bullies and stuff like that, and I admired that, and I wanted to be just like that. That's the God that I want to be like, too. I want to be the God who's holy, the God who's righteous, the God who does the right thing even when it's hard. I want to be like Jesus. My challenge to you this week, as we pray, and praying is hard. Don't hear me say it's not, because like praying, it can easily, like we say, oh, I pray every day, you know, um, and a lot of times we do, sometimes we don't. Uh, but the reality is that praying consistently and intentionally, sitting down and having a top ten conversation with God is hard. 
But my challenge for you this week is as you go to God, as you pray, as you wake up in the morning, you look out at your day, you know, maybe begin, begin with that. Father, maybe ask yourself, how am I treating God like my father? Or am I not? I remember years ago, this is where I'm going to close, uh, when I worked at the home, we had a young lady who was with us for years. She was, I'm trying to remember, I think she was nine when she moved in, and she had stolen a car and tested positive for cocaine. <laughs> um, and she was with us for years, and she went through drug treatment and independent living and was eventually like got her whole life together and they set her up. They had just started a new foster care program at the home and they had the best foster family ever. People that like were just so loving and wonderful. These are people who the entire program, the drug treatment program, those kids would go to their church on Sunday and hang out at their house all day afterward. They were amazing people. And that girl when her parents got out of prison and started doing counseling, and they would say things to her like, it's your fault we were in jail. It's your fault we were drug addicts. It's your fault. And they would blame her, and she was so ashamed of herself, and she would come back from meeting with them, and she'd cry and all that, and eventually they severed parental rights, and she wanted to be with mom and dad so bad she ran away from the foster home to go be with them. Why? Because we all want our parents. And it is a very easy thing to be a believer and to run away from God because there's fun stuff to do or because this is the thing I really, really want and surely God will understand it. To run to the old father, not the father that sent his son for us, not the father who loves us, not Abba Father, but to run to other things. It is so much harder to go to God and say, you're my dad, I love you. You're my dad, this is how I'm hurting. You're my dad... This is why I'm thankful for how my life is. This is why I'm grateful that you've made me this way. My challenge to you this week is, look at your heart. Are you running away from the Heavenly Father in favor of something else? In favor of pornography or alcohol or work? Crazy how many men run after work as though it's going to make them happy. What are you chasing? Is it the Father in heaven? Are you distant from him because dad was imperfect and you think about God that way? Have conversations with him about it. It's amazing how understanding he is. But most of all, I challenge you every morning, every afternoon, every evening, just spend a few minutes talking to God about, you're my father. It's weird how much that grows the more you do it and how quickly it becomes a thing that takes a huge amount of time. It's weird. And it becomes a blessing that you just you can't understand until you do it. Let's close in prayer. Um, and I will let you guys go. Heavenly Father, I pray, I pray to thank you that when your son taught us to pray, he taught us by pointing out that it's not a ceremony. It's not a rote thing, Lord. I thank you that it's going to God and saying, Dad, I want to talk to you about this. Daddy, Here's the thing that I'm struggling with. Daddy, here's what I'm excited about. Help us to remember in our prayer lives, in our approach to prayer, to just approach you over and over and over and over again as our Father who is in heaven. Not as a ceremony, but as a best friend, as a hero, as the model for our own lives. In Christ's name, amen. Have a good Sunday, guys.